You're listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm Ryan. Well, each week at one of our campuses, you hear a sermon preached by a preacher. And so in this episode of the podcast, I sit down with a couple of those preachers, Yancey Arrington and Aaron Lutz, to talk about how those sermons come about. We also talk about some of the messages that we have heard that have most impacted our lives. All right, Aaron and Yancey, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so we're in a message series called Restoried, and we've been talking about the different elements of the service and how they restore us in the gospel, remind us of our place in that story. Uh, so each week we've talked about a different element. And so this week on the podcast, let's talk about sermons. So we're going to talk about a lot of questions that we often get mm-hmm. as guys who uh, preach those sermons. Uh, so first, let's begin by just saying or asking, how do you write a sermon? And that's a real big question, and it sounds really vague, but it's a question that people ask. How do you write a sermon? I'm going to let Aaron go first, only because I, I generally think that based on your personality, everyone has different approaches, and Aaron's probably got a more structured approach than I do. So I may frustrate people at the beginning. So I'd rather people listen to him. Go, that's a that's way the to right do way it. to do it. And then, <laughs> and then I can be like, Yancey doesn't know what he's doing. So Aaron, tell us how, how do you do? Well, that? even the way you just started that, like uh, teach or preaching is truth communicated through personality. That's one of the definitions we yep. use a lot around yep. about preaching. And so right. our approach to writing sermons can be different because our personalities are different. So Yancey has a different personality than I do, than you do, than Bruce does, or any of our preachers. And so I'd say. And to answer that question, kind of big picture, we put together a plan. Like we kind of know where we're going in a preaching calendar, usually about a a year out. Yancey works really hard on putting that together for us where we have planned series. And within that series, there are certain um, titles or topics of each sermon. And then sometimes there's an assigned text if we're working through a book or even if it's working through a topical series, there's maybe a signed text. So that's kind of the starting point. Um, and then we try and for each sermon have a main idea. What are we trying to communicate to our church family? Uh, what do we want them to do with that? What's the application? What do we want them to think, do, or believe as a sermon is concluded? Uh, and then what in that, like what's the fallen condition focus? What's the sin or the, the obstacle that's keeping me from doing the thing that the scriptures are calling me to do? And so with that in mind, that's where we kind of start writing a sermon. So for me, again, personalities are different. I like to whiteboard something. I want to draw out an outline of the way that uh, is going to come out. And then I usually follow that outline and flesh that out as I write a full manuscript of a sermon. Um, but Yancey approaches that in a different way. Well, <clears throat> I do. It's um, The reason I struggle to answer the question is because I have a different, I feel like I have a different process every time. It just depends on uh, what pops in my head concerning, well, it, it, Maybe I should say it this way. If we're, for example, preaching through Revelation, I already know the text we're going to start off with. Sure. So that that compels me to start working right there first with the text. I don't do anything but take uh, the Scripture, I'll, I'll print it on a half sheet of paper, and I'm just doing what is called exegetical work. I'm just working through a text, trying to find, as Aaron said, what's the main idea of this, this literary unit? And uh, that's going to help me move along in, in preaching. And so, I, I mean, I... I, I I work really hard at that because I want to know what that text is saying. So I'll I'll do that. I'll I'll get commentaries later on in that process, which I know you all do as well. Which we're trying to hear what the scholars, people that have given their lives to studying these books, 
uh, what, you know, what's the historical, grammatical, uh, redemptive context of all these passages. So that's, that's really a lot of the groundwork I do. And then I just kind of let my, my mind kind of marinate in the text uh, to think like, okay, this is the main idea. What does this text say about that idea? How can I communicate that in a way that's best received by our congregants? And then I just start working from there. And 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 I I have a mental model of how I think about that and how we talk about it at Clear Creek, where we talk about getting down the mountain, where if the sermon is a mountain um, and you're wanting people to journey with you, they're far, like you're the guide, you're the you're the ski guide, so to speak. And there's the run. Sorry, it's a skiing illustration because I like to ski. But um, my job as the instructor is to ski in such a way that everyone's still with me, but they're in a way, uh, they've, they've journeyed with me in a way that's exhilarating for them. Like they want to do that again. Uh, and maybe they're super excited or maybe they're super convicted, maybe whatever it is. I've journeyed through uh, that sermon in such a way where I'm, I'm, I have the right amount of movements. Uh, so whether that's illustrations, stories, spending time in the text or application, those things are all put together. So as Aaron said, when I get to the bottom of the, the run, the bottom of the mountain, I, there's something specific I want someone to do, think, or feel. And it's usually a combination of those in line with the main idea. So I, I think of the main idea as the fall line. When you, when you ski, you kind of pick out a, a path down the mountain, it's called the fall line, and you ski down that fall line uh, so that, that you'll get down the mountain in the appropriate way. So for me, the, the, the fall line is the main idea. So trying to put this in a bow, I, I try, to, try to find that main idea. Uh, what does Jesus have to do with this? And, and start working through that. But I really do do it differently all the time because um, I'm an extemporaneous preacher, which means I'm, I'm not a manuscript, and we can get to that in a second, but I don't manuscript a lot. Uh, I manuscript a message to help me think through it, but then when I preach, I don't. I don't work through that manuscript word for word. So, but that's generally my my process. Uh, probably takes me two to three days to uh, from start to finish on a sermon, depending on if it's a big text like Revelation. I might even start a week early. But uh, if it's topical, then we're starting, as Aaron said, with the with a with a with an idea or a truth. Now my job is uh, I tend to think about that idea, and I have to find a, a passage in Scripture that legitimately, authentically uh, teaches that principle or idea that engages that idea in a way where I'm not I'm not you know uh, reverse engineering the whole thing just to justify that text so those are the kind of things that you have to go through you, you and I we all do we do that every week whether it's topical uh, a theme or whether it's uh, going through a, a book uh, we're still engaging the same ground how they start off are a little different based on what we're going to do yeah I, I'm probably more like Aaron where I I feel like I can't I can't start writing until I know all of those movements. Like I got to yeah. have that whole outline and then it starts filling out from there. But I mean, I feel like with you, you know where you're starting and you know where you're ending. And sometimes not because it's different every time, but you'll just sit down and just start writing and going. And then by the afternoon, you're like, all right, I got my first pass. And like it, it ended up going a little bit different direction than I yeah. thought, but like got to that same point. And it's, uh, it's always interesting to hear how people approach it differently. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is different. Well, and I think that's the, the beauty of, of what we do and why we have different preachers highlight that. And so maybe just talk briefly about our philosophy behind having multiple teachers that rotate through at each of our campuses. I'll, I'll lead off on it only because um, Bruce and I made a conscious decision. I'll even say Bruce made a conscious decision uh, way before I was here, or actually 
for me to get here all the way back in 98 when he said he wasn't going to just be the, he couldn't do it. He wasn't, he, he said he could do it. I'm, I'm, su- I'm sure that he could, but he felt like for the best of Clear Creek, we needed at least another voice in the pulpit. And we, we were doing two different kinds of services you know, 20 plus years ago. But over time, he and I have shared that pulpit on Sundays where we were literally doing every other week for well over a decade. And so our, our church has kind of grown up with at least more than one preacher or voice that they were getting used to. And uh, we just felt like, especially where, where we were multi-campus, we thought, well, at some point we're going to have to add more voices uh, to the pulpit. And slowly but surely, we've, we've done that. Uh, through campus pastors uh, being added to the fold, and and now uh, you know we're, we're we're doing more live than we are video, and that's just another opportunity for all those. And and not only live, we're actually doing everything simultaneous. So instead of having Egret Bay started off and all the other campuses be a week behind, where we could shoot, we could distribute video teaching. Which was like them. that for I mean, how many? I mean, I, ever since, know, I, mean I don't was, remember a long time. It was actually January oh, of twenty two. 22 is when we made that shift, yeah. and it was since from 08 528 then, started as yeah. West Campus, yeah. or I started even as the Clear, Clear Springs, Springs Campus, yeah. 14 years, I think. Yeah, so, so for 14 years, we had a week delayed right. model. So that's a pretty thick culture that you're going to be doing for 14 years, and so, um, but we've just decided that, and we can talk about this later if we need to, just we want to do more live. And we decided to make it simultaneous, or you know, all the, all the campuses are on the same week, and that. That bore itself out that we needed more live teaching. So, I mean, I would, I would say that Aaron and Ryan, that you know, our campus pastors are teaching more than they've ever taught, uh, and and not all that's equal. We have the teaching team really decides how many reps whoever gets whenever they do because we not everyone's equal in that. But um, so that that's. That's been kind of our philosophy. It just looks different, different ways at different times. Uh, when, when I first got here, Bruce said, "You know, Yancey, I'm a fork." He used this analogy with cutlery. I'm a fork, <laughs> and I, I need a knife or a spoon. And I knew which one he was going to call me. And you're a knife. <laughs> and uh, so maybe Greg Poor has been the spoon. Yeah, I don't. Greg I don't. Spoon, I don't know. But that, that's spoon. that's kind of how. Um, that's that's how we've treated, it. and I think there have been all kinds of benefits about yeah, that. Yeah. So, what do you think are the benefits of having, <laughs> I guess, different cutlery in the drawer? <laughs> just going with the. I'm yeah. just going with the analogy. Yeah, yeah. We keep just going, going with it. Man, I told East 96 on Sunday. Like, I think a plurality of not just preachers but leaders is healthy for the church, and it's healthy for the leaders. By that, I mean, if you have the one guy, he's like your favorite preacher, then all of a sudden it becomes about your preferences and your comfort or your entertainment, and you become a consumer rather than part of this church family. Um, Or you have a a preacher that's like, man, the only thing that I'm preaching 52 times a year, that's not sustainable for any one person either. And so for both the church and the, the, the leader, it's healthy to have a plurality of voices and plurality of leaders. But the same thing we just talked about with even sermon prep, like we prep differently because we have different personalities, mm-hmm. but that also lends itself to different types of sermons. And uh, so we we use the, I'll change the illustration, the analogy from cutlery to uh, prophet, priest, and king. This idea that there are people that approach the scriptures and teach them differently. A prophet is a thus saith the Lord, fiery, passionate kind of preacher. A priestly preacher is going to be more counselor, um, you know, priestly walk alongside of you. And then the, the king is kind of the more 
kingdom builder, vision caster, uh, application kind of driven. And so we've enjoyed those different personalities in the pulpit over the years where, you know, Bruce is pretty kingly. He's, he's a vision caster. It's one of his biggest strengths. You know, Yancey's kind of a prophet, a passionate preacher. For a long time, Greg was kind of that third voice as the priestly voice. And now we get to experience that at our campuses yeah. with different campus pastors too. So I think that's another benefit yeah. of plurality voices. Absolutely. What do you think about that? I mean, how's that? You've been here long enough, so how do you think uh, our commitment to multiple preachers has uh, benefited Clear Creek, or you know, how's that how's that evidenced for you? Yeah. Uh, well, I think a couple things. I mean, you 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 touched on them. One is I think that we it, it's a way that we are actively resisting a celebrity culture, yeah. which I think you know is it's a problem probably within our culture in general, uh, but even within church culture. I mean, if a church can be built upon the personality and the you know the celebrity nature of that one key leader, and uh, that creates a lot of different issues. And you know you can just imagine what happens whenever everything's built on a personality. And so I think that helps us to not have a celebrity that everyone is you know waiting to hear what that guy's going to say whenever he comes down off the mountain to go present it to right. everyone. Um, I think the other thing it does is it helps people to see the diversity of gifts within the church body. Yeah. So, I mean, like we talked about, different personalities, different perspectives, experiences. I mean, uh, someone from my age is going to see the world differently from someone in your age or Bruce's age. Yeah. Different, uh, you know, backgrounds and upbringing and family places and all those different things. I, I think it's helpful for people to see that when, when they can, from week to week, see a different preacher and not a a ton towards a revolving door, but sure. a, enough to be able to say, yeah, like there, there's a place for me here. If there's enough for, is there a place for three different preachers and there's enough for different people on the worship band every right. week and there's a different, you know, there's a place for different ushers and they're rotating through, there's a place for me somewhere around here and what my gifts are. And I think that our our preaching rotation demonstrates our value for that. that yeah, we, we are a community of people who spirits in us and we have gifts of the spirit and uh, we're going to celebrate those and and exercise them. Yeah, I think that's it's. Good. I, I think that's a really good point. Uh, you know, really, it does fight against a consumer culture uh, that that celebrates celebrity in such a way where that that churches try to leverage that. They're like, all right, let's get yeah. our one guy who's the who's our favorite preacher. Let's put his face everywhere. Let's put him in all the social media. Let's do all this stuff, and then. You know that guy leaves, or an asteroid falls on him, and they got to get a new pastor. And all of a sudden, everyone just seems to scatter. And we we even see some of that at Clear Creek when people call in and be like, "Well, who's preaching at at this campus this weekend?" And and just so that people know, we don't ever release that information um, for a couple of reasons. One, sometimes things change. Uh, we've had multiple times, uh, even just this week, where I've changed the schedule where someone we thought would preach at this point, something came up and you know they, they weren't able to do it. We had to put someone else in there. Uh, in fact, this this by the time this goes out, I, I was scheduled to preach at a certain campus. I'm not going to be able to make it, so the campus pastor's going to have to preach there. So that's one reason why we don't say it. Another reason is we, we don't want to foster this idea that you should only come to corporate worship when your favorite guy's preaching. Uh, we just don't want to foster that attitude. So uh, there's a couple of reasons why we want to push against that. And the fact that our structure culturally just simply says, hey, we're we're going to have a bunch of different people that have this gift, and you're going to hear from all kinds of people. So right. I, I like that, that we're trying to train and disciple uh, God's people into listening to multiple kinds of teachers. So, yeah. so we mentioned earlier, we referenced <laughs> that we've made some shifts in terms of uh, uh, you know the, how the sermons are 
the teaching schedule, you mentioned that and you know, now they're all aligned at all campuses yeah. instead of being a week delayed. You mentioned that there's an intentional movement away from video at some campuses to have much more live teaching. And so all, all of those different changes are in light of some philosophical thought that, that we have for those things. So maybe talk through what those changes have been over the last, I mean, it's been about a year, a little more than a year that some yeah. of those started to roll out. So talk about what those changes are and then the philosophy behind them. Yeah, I mean, I want to turn the question to you because you were part of that, and I know that you said, hey, listen, I just want to read these questions, <laughs> so I'm going to have you be a part of that because both you and Aaron were, were both a part of that. So uh, why did we do that? What was the philosophy behind that? Um, I, I'm, I, I just want to riff off whatever answer you have. <laughs> Remember, personality, you can manuscript this. I'll just... I'll just um, I'll just make up stuff after after you talk. So, what do you think of the the? Why, tell the people why that was a philosophical change and what we did with it. Uh, gosh, I was hoping that I was going to think about some stuff. Like oh, that. I was going to tune out for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think <laughs> there's both philosophical reasons we did it and cultural reasons we did so. So, coming out of COVID, I mean, COVID was a game changer for everybody everywhere, not just in you know industry, but even in the church world. And so, what COVID did for us when we were only online for a while is it did align us. And so now all of our campuses are hearing the same sermon the same week, and they're meeting to apply that at the same time all across our community, even though we were all digital. And so then we had a conversation coming back out of that, like, do we want to go back to week delayed where now one campus is ahead of the other when so much is now digital, when at that time more than half of our people stayed digital while some people were coming back into in-person services? How does that happen with our small groups? I mean, that's a cultural reason that we said, let's go get concurrent so we're all hearing the same thing at the same time, applying it together. That's helpful because I totally forgot about that. Yeah. But, but it... <laughs> But really, because we got down very practical questions like, yeah. all right, so if you're going to post a sermon online, which whose campus, sermon you post, whose yeah. sermon do you post? Is it the, the the campus that went first, which in that model before, it was Egret Bay, and the yeah. other campuses were a week delayed from then? And so I think what we, we landed on in that was we were going to hang on to that yeah, we did. and not post it for a whole week. So everyone at East 96, 528, Clear Lake, mm-hmm. um, and then I guess Wednesday, they all got those messages when they were preached, but Eager Bay, it was a, a week delayed. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, it was actually really interesting that the people who were part of Eager Bay as a campus who were at that time staying online instead of uh, hadn't returned back to in-person yet, they essentially were aligned with other campuses and not right. in-person at Eager Bay. Because we held and on so, to that for a little bit afterwards. Yeah, and so it's just, it made, you know, even just communication, hey, I'm going to send out a campus email this week yeah. that's going to build off of something we just heard this past Sunday. Well, if you're online, you didn't hear that yet yeah. because it's coming out this coming Sunday. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, those are all the practical things you don't think about whenever you're trying to figure out the difference between online and the in, in real life yeah. kind of world. So, Well, and yeah, I, I'm curious how many people actually knew that that was even happening. People that attended Eager Bay, did they know the campuses were a week delayed? People at campuses, did you know you're a week delayed from Eager Bay? Unless you were in a small group with someone from another campus, that probably wasn't part of your reality. That was complex for us, but we lived into that for so many years, it became our normal thing. Now, when we made a switch, now it became more complex internally for us to figure out what does the schedule look like for that? So there was a cultural reason, but then the philosophical reasons were, again, we wanted everybody to hear the same thing and be able to apply it across all of our campuses. But then that started to demand, well, now what do we do when we usually record on a Sunday and it goes ahead to the following week? Do we still want to utilize video to the same degree? So the other cultural thing that happened with video, not just concurrent teaching, was 
Everything was downloadable online, but we've said our in-person services are different than what's happening digitally. So what's the non-downloadable experience people can have in person at a campus that they couldn't have online? And so that was part of the reason we said, well, um, maybe preaching is one of those. That The more live preaching there is, there's, that's a less downloadable experience. The other philosophical one was we started to say that perhaps that's a barrier for unchurched people. If we are a church that exists to lead unchurched people to full devotion to Jesus, and if video teaching is a perceived barrier for an unchurched person, like our people that are there all the time, they get it, they're on board, but people who visit for the first time are like, oh, there's a video, that's kind of weird. If that's a barrier for them, let's remove the barriers as much as we, as we can. So where we used to be 75% video, 25% live, then we went to about 50-50. Now at only two of our campuses, we have it about 25% of the time. We're trying to reduce that number as we get more comfortable with it. And, and the other two campuses we are fully live. Right, right. For the most part. So yeah. uh, no, and I think that's exactly, you know, I wasn't trying to put you on the spot. I, I, I really was just thinking uh, we'd all have these conversations, about so we have a thousand of them. So and it's and trying to, just good about remembering well, like, you're trying what, to figure out first, yeah. which of the million conversations was it. The, of those conversations, what stands out to me for making the decision we did to do less video um, and even and even consolidate services on the same week was ultimately, uh, one was for spiritual formation because we felt like we could serve the church better if we all did the same thing at the same time. But secondly, uh, or the second part of that, when making it all uh, live or predominantly live, doing, let's just put it this way, saying less video is because we felt like if you're going to have a friend on your arm, they'd be more apt to engage someone live than someone who was on the video screen. Now, the, the tension that co comes with that, just to put all the cards on the table and to just be transparent, is um, oftentimes the person they're going to see live may not be as seasoned of a pastor preacher as the guy whose name's Bruce or Yancey that had been doing it for a quarter of a century. And for everyone else who's been used to seeing Yancey and Bruce, because that's just how they've talked about it, uh, that, that's been hard for a lot of I mean, just to acknowledge, it's been hard because by going to live and by doing simultaneous, uh, that cut our preaching, our ability to be to, to, to have our sermons, Bruce and I and other campuses, cut it in half and really limited us. And so there was just value decisions we had to make, whether we were going to do that or not. And we, we wanted to do that. We just realized that there were going to be some campuses. I mean, I, I, I'm people from right now, as far as like today, people at Aaron's campus hear me once every other month. On video. On video. I've not been there live. They hear Bruce once every other month. So in an eight-week period of time, they hear us twice. Uh, as opposed to being at your campus at Egret Bay, they're going to hear Bruce or I 50% of the time live. And so each campus has a – it's almost like preaching itself. Each campus has its own different ingredients for how they're moving towards live. But with all that being said, I'm just trying to highlight like the, the complexity behind it and the relational dynamics that have uh, our, that all of our people have had to experience, some of it's been quite challenging depending on the campus you're at. But we feel like even with that all being said, overall, it's a, it's a healthier move for us. It's a better move in the long run. And, um, and frankly, we have such, I, I'm going to speak from, as the teaching pastor, I think we have such a high standard for preaching that uh, we work really hard that anyone that goes up there to preach is, is, is well prepared to do so. And, and I hear great things about, you know, if, if, if people used to think in the past it was Bruce and Yancey with a little bit of Greg, because that's just how he didn't he preached like once every six weeks back in the day. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping the conversations are now like, well, it's the teaching team. It's Bruce, Yancey, uh, 
at this place, it's going to be you know Bruce Yancey and 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 Ryan at Eager Bay. It's going to be Aaron and Greg Poor. So those are the kind of things that I think are good because now we have different conversations. Because what we realized is, and, and trying to make this short, we've instead of having everyone preach everywhere all the time, we made a decision uh, this past year and a half to consolidate to have less smaller teams for greater consistency. So I want to use. Aaron's campus, for an example, at East 96, you're gonna you're you're essentially gonna either see Aaron or you're gonna see Greg Poor. So when people come and they're bringing their friends, it's not like, well, I saw this guy, Aaron. I really liked his message. When, when will he ever preach again? Yeah, we'll see you in eight weeks. No, he's going to be there roughly fifty percent of the time, maybe even a little more. Um, at Clear Lake, we have a rotation of about three pastors. Same at Egret Bay, just because Egret Bay's grown up with Bruce and, and me being there. Ryan, you're there preaching half the time. Uh, at uh, five twenty-eight, it's me and Chris Alston. So. All that being said, just so that people understand, like we made intentional decisions to have smaller teaching teams so that we can have greater consistency for the congregants of those respective campuses. And we're still kind of seeing how this all works because this is, you know, it's all wet cement. But but so far it's it's been, um, I think we've seen the benefit of it. But uh, I love the fact that the church is getting to learn from a bunch of different preachers and teachers, gifted preachers and teachers, and, and hopefully we have a bunch of, go back to cutlery, Bunch of <laughs> knives and forks and spoons and uh, and God's using it all. So, well, to that point, I think each campus has those, right? Like you have a complementary team at each campus, and we've been strategic about that. Yep, trying know? to. So we were kind of experimenting some things. I got to a place where like, man, I love having Greg with me at East ninety six yep. because I'm a thirty something year old pastor and he's a sixty something year old pastor, yep. and we have different personality types, different preaching styles, and it's been good for our church body at East ninety six to have that complementary. You know, package, and I think the same's been true at Five Twenty Eight yep. at Clear Lake at Eager Bay. Yeah, I mean, I get yeah. to be the young, cool guy. <laughs> sure, we got an old guy, you, you know, is getting up there. Uh, absolutely, you know, I make no bones about it. Stories, I'm embracing you know, it. I'm embracing you know, before it. email existed. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> well, as long as Bruce is still at your campus and I'm with him, I can. All, he's always the older guy. Yeah, I can't make fun of you because so. in your mind, you're just like I'm not the oldest. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I still. I can just make fun of Bruce. So uh, I have a. I have a greater problem with that at uh, Five Twenty Eight since Chris and I are the same age. So yeah. I can't joke about how old he is since we're basically in the same class. So <laughs> yeah, I'll find something. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you know you may not really think about whenever we made a shift like this is how we actually prepare for these messages. Yeah. So now we've got on any given week, usually four different preachers, because usually someone on pre preaching on Wednesday, it's yep. going to be the same as that following Sunday. So four different preachers preaching the same message or the same topic. And the way that we do our staff structure is, yeah. you know, each one of us have a another role that we play on our staff besides being a teaching pastor or sure. a campus pastor. Um, and then, you know, obviously with Bruce, a lead pastor is a, a huge role. So, um, so within all that, to be able to write sermons even more often, that just creates problems in terms of scheduling and the amount of hours that people are putting in. So we felt the, the necessity to create a, a structure where we can help with the, the preparation in a way that we don't have four guys who are all putting in 20 to 25 hours each person on one sermon, but we can work together in a way so that yeah. way we're able to uh, more efficiently use the time, but yet still come up with, with sermons that aren't just being, they're not just scripts that we're reading. We are actually like creating you know, these together. So briefly describe for anyone who really just loves getting in the, the weeds, how, do, how does that preparation process work for us? Yeah, I, 
I think it's helpful to tell people because I don't want I want to blow up some misconceptions because people hear this like team teaching. So you basically have a guy write your sermons and you have no originality to it and you're just talking heads. That's not what we're doing. And so I think it's helpful to talk about. So like our, our process, right? And it's still kind of messy. It's hard. I mean, it 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 it's hard. Um, and it's really hard for the guys that have been preaching already that have to kind of do things differently than what they've done in the past. Where you you know when it was my week to preach, I wrote my own sermon and did my own thing. And when it's Bruce, he did, and he and I would just talk. That would be it. Now how we have it structured is we have uh, and for people that I, I really want Clear Creek to know about this. So for example, for someone who's going to preach, we're going to preach a week from now. There's going to be some person that's assigned that sermon and they're going to write a first pass. Called the sermon author, yeah, if you will. the sermon author, the manuscript author, if you will, and he really has to manuscript it because uh, even if he's not a manuscript preacher, he needs to manuscript it because he needs to show us like his way down the mountain. Here's what I'm going to do with this, and it needs to be as finished enough as it can be that we can work from that. So that person writes that sermon a week ahead of time, and then on Monday, the following week, uh, he submits that to. Let's put it this way. Let's say. Um, I'm the sermon author for that week. Uh, you two guys are going to be preaching that following weekend. You're going to use that sermon. So what, what I'll do is I'll get that message, and on Monday I'll walk through. I'll give a copy to Ryan and to Aaron, and we'll. I'll just kind of preach through it real fast. Just talk through it. Like here's what I'm hoping to do, and I'll say this, and and they're just taking notes the whole time, uh, figuring out. Uh, what my sermon's about, breaking it down. And already when I start doing this, they're breaking it down into like, how, how can we use this for ourselves? And so uh, I want you two guys to speak to that because you've done that a lot. Uh, and so, but I just want to kind of finish up how that looks. Once, once they start to do their work, and I want you guys to talk about like what kind of work you actually do in it, uh, they'll, they'll take those messages and preach them. And you'll find that they, they often look very different in a lot of respects. It's the same theme, same text, generally speaking. Um, but we have some very interesting conversations about how to make it your own. So I'll leave it at that. So I, let's just take it from there. I've <laughs> preached that first pass on Monday. You guys are the sermon recipients, the initial manuscript recipients. What happens after that? That'd be a good way to do it. Yeah, so we take that uh, that manuscript, and usually at the top we want to know what's the main idea, what's the fallen condition focus that we're trying to address in our church, and then what's the application. Because again, the hope is that we're applying this across all of our campuses. Think about it, like 3,000 people on a Sunday or a Wednesday night are hearing the same message and applying it all across our community. That's powerful. So we don't want to give up that application or that main idea. And so we say that those are kind of the untouchables. The text itself is an untouchable. After that, man, make it your own. So we're not going to copy and paste people's illustrations. If Yancey tells a story about him and Jennifer and their boys, I'm not going to like rip that and be like, well, me and Bethany and my three kids, yeah. you know, like I got to find a way to illustrate that that's true to me. Mm-hmm. And I've got to be able to own that that sermon in a way that I feel passionate and convicted about this so that I can call East 96 to the same thing. And so uh, let, let's just t- say that if I'm the sermon author, yeah. it typically takes me 20 hours to write a sermon, right? It's going to take oh, several days. If I'm the, if I receive that sermon, you're the that, adapter. If I'm the adapter, if you will, that takes about half of that prep out because mm-hmm. someone's already done the exegetical work. Somebody's already kind of given me a path down the mountain. Now we can steward our time in a better way. So even we talk about relentless stewardship, right? It's not just about money. It's about are the resources of time too. So now I can do the rest of my job without just being a sermon writer all the time. Uh, so I take that, I change out illustrations, I kind of deconstruct to the level that I feel like I need it, and then I rebuild that up to yeah. the sermon that I feel like I can go preach with conviction. Yeah. 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 And I find oftentimes when you're the, the sermon writer, 
you you give this to three other people, mm-hmm. and then they, you know, they people will say put their stink on it. So they, <laughs> by people you mean Bruce? Yeah, you mean Bruce? Yeah, they'll, they'll, I do not say they'll that. do that, and then they say, hey, here's what I'm thinking with it, and then you realize like, oh yeah, like actually I can like some of those ideas, and then you end up sort of incorporating some of those ideas. You back surely do that because yeah. that's your that, that's one of the things. Because it's great. You, you always it's you collaborative. Always, it really you love is that. You're like, oh, well, my favorite things. I just get to I get to. I get to I get it from someone. I put my stuff on it, and then I send it back, and then I see what they've done with it. And I just you're just borrowing and, yeah. and you know getting you're just all going those, back and forth. You yeah, continue just to it's refine. A collaboration. Yeah, it's, it really is. It's helpful. It helps you to grow as a preacher because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I hadn't really thought of it from that angle. Yeah. Versus before, when you're the only guy doing it, you'd go and you'd preach it, and you know <laughs> you, that was the best you could do. And yeah. maybe afterwards, someone would say, hey, you might have thought of doing this. I'm like, well, I guess I'll keep that in mind the next time that this comes up. But it's yeah. going to be a while. Yeah. You've so. said this, and I agree. I think we're producing some of our best content right now. I think the people of Clear Creek are enjoying some of our best preaching because we get to work so collaboratively. We're evaluating before we go preach it for the first time. Yeah. So now instead of the, the second service getting the best sermon, hopefully right. our first and second service are getting the best sermon because we've been working through this together in community. Yeah. I think that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, and I I, yeah, it, I, I think so too. I, I definitely think that what I uh, want to dispel this idea that it's someone crafts the bullet and he just hands a copy of oh, that bullet to everyone for your gun to shoot on Sunday. And it's really not like that at all. And, 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 if, and if we ever suspect those kinds of things, those are the conversations we, w- we would just have with people. But we've just learned like, it's, you're just gonna preach a really poor sermon if you just deliver someone else's stuff. Because actually, and you know, Ryan and I were talking about this about another pastor, you can actually hear the voice of someone in the way that they write it. Like if I were to get Aaron's message, I would know it's Aaron's just by the way he's crafted his sentences. And I can hear his voice in that. <laughs> yeah. I can hear Ryan's. I for sure can hear Greg's because Greg's got such a different preaching personality, what I call the author. You know, we talk about like it's like his tapestry of story that if you just take one thread and you pull it, it you, you can't, you just got to work really hard to put it back together for me. And so, because uh, I'm not that, I'm, I'm a yeah. different type of preacher. But all that's been a joy and a challenge. One of my favorite things is seeing uh, how different these sermons are and still with, playing within the same, still on the same mountain. You know, still within parallel ways of going down it, and I think it's—I uh, think our people are blessed by it. But it, it's—it's challenging. It's definitely challenging to do, and we're—we're we're trying to figure out better ways to do it. But um, yeah, the, the collaboration has been—that's a new thing. Yeah, that's yeah. a new thing. And we started it with revelation of all things. <laughs> we, <laughs> thought we jump in the, the we thought we'd jump in the uh, yeah. the deep end of the pool <laughs> yeah. and uh, see if we could swim. But that it worked. It was, it, and I actually yeah. thought that was probably really helpful because revelation is at times a hard thing to. To wrap your mind around, and so it's helpful to have other people who are also very familiar with the text because they're studying it, and now you're all working together to to craft something that it's like, oh wow, like that really is helpful. Yeah, I, I think one of the more uh, interesting aspects of making this collaborative uh, effort is when we don't agree, uh, when we when we don't agree with like you know, and it's not like <laughs> it's not like an essential belief, but like yeah. every one of us has to do our own textual work. We're, we're all gonna we're gonna preach on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five through seven. But but in in my exegesis, I may emphasize something where you're gonna go, oh man, I, I want to exe- I, I want to emphasize this part of what Jesus says, not this part. Same text, or hey, uh, you know, Yancey, Aaron may say, I, I'm not too sure. I I'm not gonna interpret that that way. And I you know, here's there's scholarship that says that this might be a better way to do this. And you know, we'll be careful of how we say that to the people. But that to me is the fascinating part of it is because part of owning the sermon is owning the text. I mean, owning it in your heart. So I just, I think about that because I remember Carl Garcia at one time getting a, um, 
doing one of these messages. He wasn't. The, he was the adapter, not the originator. And he said most of the time he spent was just trying to get his head around the text. And I appreciate that because I think that's part of owning it. You know, yep. we want when we go up there, we don't want to speak someone else's voice. It's got to be ours. But to do that, you have to own it. So that's been a. That's been a, a joyful discovery in doing all this stuff and a challenge. And we're still putting real time in it. So if it's oh, twenty sure. hours, if it's twenty hours for to write sure. something from scratch for yeah. me, it's ten. That's ten really good hours of like yeah. putting not my stink on it, but putting like getting own in that, living into that in my own heart, so I can preach that with conviction. Mm-hmm. So it's still a lot of work. And what we did for we've been doing this. We just did it for Easter and Christmas. Oh, yeah. We did it for Easter and Christmas. There's one time I assigned Aaron to write uh, the Christmas sermon. Was it the Christmas sermon? And you weren't even preaching it. it. I was like, hey, would you just write this for us and give us a baseline? And he did. And uh, then he had to work through the gauntlet because, you know, part of the challenge is he's got to sit there and and do this to all these preachers. Like, well, here's what I like about it, Aaron. I don't know about this. And so. I was like, why don't you just write it? I'm exactly right. (laughs) I'm not even preaching this. Why did you ask me to do that? You know, Uh, but part of that is because I think we have such a high standard. I think people would be intimidated to come into some of our times where we're, we're walking through people uh, with our sermon because everyone else gets a piece of it. They get a shot at it. I mean, I say a shot at it. They, they, get to, they have to ask honest questions about it to make it their own. So uh, all that stuff's been a, 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 a challenge, but a good challenge, because I, I agree. I think in the end, it's getting us... Uh, uh, I think the whole quality of preaching is, is rising up to where it's been in a way we're including more people. Everyone's going to get to grow. Um, and... I'm, I'm super happy with it. All right. Uh, let's talk really broadly about the impact of preaching and uh, sermons in general on on your life, on our life. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll answer too. But <laughs> what has been a sermon that you have heard from somebody else that has really impacted you over the years? Yeah, the one I thought of when I heard, you know, heard this question was uh, a sermon I heard right before I started college. So, dude, mm. I can't remember who was preaching it. I don't know the title of the sermon. I remember they were preaching through Ephesians, and mm. I was convicted by the idea that the first half of Ephesians all about Jesus, right? The second half of Ephesians is like, okay, in light of the gospel, what do we do? And I had this desire, really, I'll be honest, I had this desire to go to college and just rebel. Like, I had been the good kid in high school. I was ready to kind of go live it up in college. I could always go back to Jesus, mm. whatever. And I heard this sermon and it changed the trajectory of my four years in college. And I remember someone saying like, you can use these four years to be selfish and rebel, or you can use these four years to glorify God. Here's what Ephesians says. Boom, it changed everything for me. And so uh, I don't know who preached that sermon. Was this at Clear Creek? Nope. Was nope. this at, oh, you it don't know a, what church it was? No, it was going to, so I went to Texas A&M. Uh-huh. Uh, there was Impact, it was this freshman orientation camp for incoming you know, Christians. Ah, I see, I see. And uh, they put the, the school, students put this on for students just like me got who it. were ready to run. Got it. And God got a hold of my heart and changed my four years of college because of that. So it was got Impact, it. 2004. Big deal for me. But that's like that one of those restory things, right? I had the story absolutely, in my mind. Absolutely, absolutely. The gospel and yeah. the sermon restoried me yeah, into that's that. Good. That's mm-hmm. good. That's uh, good. You got to use that in the sermon series that we're doing on restory. Sure, that would be really good. Uh, I think for me, I think of two things. As far as like a sermon that was preached that I would consider that a traditional sermon, I, I heard a guy, um, a well-known preacher, preach through Psalm 19. I, I hate to say it like that because I guess everyone's going to ask. So I heard John MacArthur in person uh, preach a sermon. I'd actually heard him preach before. Uh, I, I used to listen to him a lot, a long, tape, a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cassette tapes. Yeah, I did. And he preached a sermon on Psalm 19 on the sufficiency of Scripture, which I thought was a majestic 
uh, effort at preaching. It always just fired me up to want to read my Bible and get into it and ultimately preach it one day. So uh, I got to see him in Austin. I was another time I was at college. I was in college as well and drove down to Austin. Saw that he was going to be speaking at some church event in Austin. So I drove down there, and sure enough, that's the sermon he preached. Uh, and it was, I mean, I just was. Um, what what moved me about it, not only was he just highlighting how powerful God's Word is, but just the fact that the, the method in which he was doing it, he was going verse by verse, preaching through a book uh, or through a text of Scripture, which highlighted the power of the Scripture itself, and I just, that's what I wanted to do. I mean, I've talked with him afterwards, like, what he was doing, it was awesome, and ultimately, you know, the preaching of God's Word was most important, but actually how he was preaching was something that I wanted to, that inspired me. Um, but I would say, like more recently, and less of a, less of like a traditional sermon. It was um, in 2010 with Tim Keller uh, uh, speaking at the Gospel Coalition. I believe it's 2010. Uh, it was really a presentation. It's not a sermon, but I took it as such, where he talked about uh, what is gospel-centered ministry, and that that you know I I tell people. Uh, that there's sometimes in life where you're you're either disquieted or disgruntled or something's going on and you can't put your finger on why you feel that way and you can't really articulate your thought but it's it's buried in you uh, and it almost frustrates that you can't frustrates you that you can't articulate it but you'll come across a teacher or an author a sermon a book or something that crystallizes all of a sudden when you hear it you're like that's what I believe. That, I just couldn't I couldn't formulate it very clearly, but that's what I believe. That's what happened to me in 2010 when uh, at the Gospel Coalition's first, I think it was just invite only, first uh, conference, um, Dr. Keller spoke on uh, what is gospel-centered ministry and how he was explaining it was exactly like, oh, that's why I feel so frustrated. And uh, he even talked about his own frustrations in his ministry. And it was a 55-minute talk, and I was in tears throughout it not not just just cuz i was like finally someone has given words to my how i feel and then uh, i i remember after i was done with it i watched it for an, another hour uh writing notes and thinking i'm going to learn as much as i can about this thing called gospel centrality cuz this is where i you know and i walked into bruce's office and i was like watch this uh, which to to his credit he stopped what he was doing and watched it right then and there and i think that changed the trajectory of clear creek in a, in a real way so that's a message that that impacted not only me. I think it's impacted uh, all of us here. So, for me, I, one that I remember uh, was probably back in college. There was a, a student. College got this college, strong thing, right? Yeah, yeah. well, it's because you're young and you're impressionable. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I, and I had just come to faith really. I've been yeah. within like a, a year or two before hearing this, and um, it was the uh, the college pastor, college director mm -hmm. at this church I was at, and it was you know it was a fairly big college ministry, and really the whole church had a, a passion for global missions. And I was mm. young in my faith, and I hadn't really like caught that vision just yet. Yeah. And like the sermon that really did that from this guy is, um, it was called Why I Hate Missions. Mm. And the whole thing was about how like, I, I hate missions, quote unquote, because of the call that it has on my life, the, the, the discomfort it might mean for me, the, the sacrifice that it might mean for me. And so really, I mean, the, the twist is yeah. he doesn't really hate it. He, he no, He's running missions. after yeah. the tension though. That guy so, knew what he was talking yeah, about. And it's so good. And um, talked in there, the, the difference between settlers and pioneers mm. and um, 
you know, as a young college guy, it's like, yeah, I want, I want to be a pioneer. Like I want to yeah. be the person who's, who's making the advances, yeah. you know, and Paul talks about, I want to preach where Christ has not been named. You go like, that's, that's what I want to go do. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was good. It was inspiring. And there was some other ones too, especially around missions and that, that, uh, that time frame for me that were really impactful. Did that so, influence, uh, at all, uh, you and your wife's decision to go to Africa? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And I, probably the 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 book that was based on a, a talk that mm. really switched things for me was John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life mm-hmm. that I think came out of a, a talk that he gave at a passion conference yeah, yeah. called The Same Thing. And so reading that book, that that changed that changed everything for me. And See, so, I think I think Piper's message, which is, you know, you guys can YouTube it. It's passion. It's the seashell message mm-hmm. where... Uh, not ten times faster. I know it. I, I think I think the Lord used that message. He he did for a generation what what God used Keller's message to do for me. He put words to a yearning that I had and a disquiet that I had that I I couldn't figure it. Out. I couldn't put it all together. Uh, and then, uh, but if people were just to look up uh, the the Passion Conference, John Piper talking about uh, don't waste your life. I mean it it. It really captured a generation, y'all's generation of. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I I didn't even catch. I mean, I'd, I'd heard just kind of caught wind of it later on and, and watched it, and, and again was stunned by how you could just tell it was a holy moment right there. Uh, but that's what God does, and He does it countless times all around the world, and He does it at Clear Creek. He does it at Clear Creek uh, when people come up to you and they're they're either they're in some kind of state emotionally usually they're overjoyed or they're overwhelmed because they say things like surely you wrote that sermon for me i know it happens to you guys it happens to me surely you wrote that for me and most of them i'm like no i i i don't know what the lord has for you i just i just wrote this message cuz first of all it's on the schedule uh, and god's just sovereign the Holy and, Spirit does that, and me. that's a, that's a Spirit's work. Yeah. So, like, I, we can't take any credit for that. We just have to be faithful to preach the word. But those are the kind of the joys of the preaching. And you get a lot of there are a lot of critics out there, right? Uh, but when you're a congregant and uh, you're just you just want to hear God's word, um, man, there's some there's some really neat neat's not even the right word. There's some really holy moments that God uses to build into His people from the preaching of His word. You get to hear the voice of the King. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's fun stuff. Say the least. Well, as a preacher, it's, I mean, it's incredibly encouraging when you hear stories like that. It also, it just causes you to, to tremble a little sure bit. Sure does. Like, you're just like, wow. Like, that, like you're venturing into this territory where, where God is, is doing things that you can't take credit for, and you're just like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely drives you to prayer to realize that the, the words that are coming out of your mouth are impacting people because the the work of the spirit in them and uh yeah it's it is humbling and it is uh i mean it is it is a fearful thing but not a paralyzing kind of fear but just a reverence awe of who god is i mean it's it's crazy so how would you answer that i mean let's let's dive on that a little bit what do you do to fight against um feeling like you're the guy because it it, let's not let's not be coy about it it is the spotlight gift of all the gifts in a church. In other words, it's the one people see more than anyone. That's just where our culture is. People judge churches off the preacher. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's... Yeah. So how, how do you guys um, manage your own soul with those kind of temptations? I mean, I, you guys know, I've got personal friends of mine that aren't in ministry anymore because they succumb to the temptation of celebrityism. 
So how, and Clear Creek's not a small church. You know, Ron and I uh, were in Denver just um, a week ago, a week or so ago, and a guy comes up and recognizes Ryan because he saw him preach a sermon out of Revelation, oh, yeah. and they wanted to hear this. They, someone had already talked about, like, you got to hear this Clear Creek sermon on Revelation, right? So and that feels good. Don't get me wrong. It's like, oh, that's kind of cool. But but you could tell how there can be a dark side to, to this gift. Uh, how do you guys, how do you manage your own soul with that? I think it's what you talked about earlier, Ryan, about um, there's a plurality of gifts in the church, and this is just the gift that God has given me. I'm going to steward that gift to the best of my ability. And so I, I really honestly see myself as a servant of Clear Creek Community Church. So when I go to preach, I'm going to serve them as best as I can in the same way that when I show up at 6 a.m. to move chairs around, I want to do that to the best of my ability. I want to serve the church. Um, and then before I go preach, every single time, like, God, let this be my spiritual act of worship. Yeah. Let what I'm about to do worship you and honor you. And whatever you want to do with it, you do it. But I don't want any of the glory for that. Let me just serve you and serve the church. That's one of the ways. Yeah, that's that. great. I mean, I'd say that our, the, our gospel centrality, like, it has to, to start with our own belief about the gospel mm-hmm. and what our beliefs about the gospel. What it, it drives me to realize over and over again is just my my brokenness in in sin and my need for Jesus. And so I mean those stories of people who succumb to celebrity or mm-hmm. succumb to whatever whatever yep. it is. Um I think the the discipline that followers of Jesus should have instead of being like how dare that guy do that thing? I can't believe they did that which is you know in some ways, you know, we should, you know, sin sin is sin. At the same time being like that is in me. Like, right. that is that is in me, yeah. you know, and uh, all it all it takes is just you know temptation to to overcome me, and I I could live into that, and so I think there's like this a healthy distrust of my own heart and how I think about things and my own skepticism about whatever that is, like what whatever big deal that might in that moment you think, oh yeah, like that was that was awesome. That was a big deal. Or someone recognized this sure. or you went to the grocery store and someone recognized who you are. Yeah. It's like, oh man, that that that's gonna get you. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't take it doesn't take much for sin to snuff you out. And so when you sort of realize that, it's like by God's grace, I'm I'm hanging on that, and right. that's the the grace that drop, brought me in is the same grace that's going to yeah. help me to persevere that's for great. my life, and that's, good. that's what I want. And if I can't preach that message anymore, then I guess I can't, you know, I can't preach that message. I yeah. mean, it's like I got I got to live that gospel out. So yeah, that's yeah. good, that's good. Did you want to say something? I mean, <laughs> oh, no. you asked the question. No, I, I did, yeah, I yeah, did. I was going to be a Ryan where I have to, <laughs> have to answer it. I, I think I think what you guys said is absolutely right on. I. You know, I come from a theological perspective where, and I think our church does as well, where we're very well acquainted with, um, we're, we're sinners. And so I, I, I just know that all of us have a propensity to to want to sin, and uh, and the flesh will take any opportunity to, to, to indulge in those things. And preaching can be one of those things where um, I, I just recognize Listen, Lord, this is a gift, but it could be a weapon against me if I'm not careful. And and I've just had enough friends that if they it, it was a weapon. I mean, not for them, against them, and of their own doing. And I I just never wanted to be like that. I think part of it also is I, I feel plugged into my local church. I'm not trying to jet set everywhere. I'm trying to be faithful in my local church. I, I remember telling a guy just last week, you know, the greatest thing you can give to your church is your faithfulness, is your faithfulness to Jesus. And so I'm reminded in James, suffer not to be a teacher because you'll incur a stricter judgment. I mean, I, 
I'm, when I get up to preach, I'm serious about it. I mean, I, I'm intense, probably just in my personality, but like, I understand that everything I say has, I, I don't really even care. This is going to sound really bad. I don't care what our congregation thinks about whether they like my sermon or not. I care if Jesus likes it and if I'm being faithful to God's word. And if if everyone likes it, but I don't feel like I, I did that well, it crushes me and maybe maybe more so than I need it to. Um, but if if I feel like I've been faithful, uh, that's all I really care about. And I don't care about the accolades or, you know, I, everyone likes to be encouraged, uh, but we have a, a very encouraging church anyhow. Uh, I just... There's a part of me that just says, I just want to be, I just want to be faithful to where I am. So a, a prayer I pray every time I get it to the pulpit is I pray, Lord, may the people know that you are my God and that I'm your servant. That's it. And, um, and, and I'm also very well aware, just to come full circle, that I'm a sinner. And that if God, I tell people this, if God wanted to expose any one of us to get us out of ministry, he could do it like that. He could just open up the secrets of our heart and expose any one of us. Not that we got something on the side. I'm just saying my heart's dark enough. I struggle enough with sin um, uh, that that I God could pull. He could root us out anytime He wanted to. So everything that we do is a grace. Every Sunday or Wednesday is a grace, and I, I really treat it as such. My favorite Sundays are the times where I felt like I've really blown it this week. God, I'm going to get up and preach Your Word. Help me to preach it by faith, not because I can do it all, but because You have. And then. I feel like that sermon really, the Lord used it to bless a lot of people, and I literally had nothing to do with it spiritually for that. I mean, I'm not up there like, you know, out there sniffing cocaine and, you know, shooting up uh, a daycare to go, hey, let me pre. I'm just saying, that went dark I, I, I'm, I, I know, I went really dark. I try to think of something really bad. I'm just saying, uh, I feel that uh, any sin can disqualify you. Uh, it can disqualify your heart for thinking you're, you're worthy to do this. I just don't feel like I'm worthy to do it. And that's part of why I feel like the Lord's allowed me to stay grounded in it because I don't. It's not a worth issue. It's guys like I'm picking you. I mean, you know, I, I, he he had Paul, which was the premier preacher for the first century, and the guy before he became a Christian was was his job was killing Christians, and now he becomes one. So that's the kind of stuff that helps keep me grounded. And um, and uh, I've really one of the not to sidebar this, but I really have appreciated Clear Creek in our. 30 years of existence, you know, God's allowed our, our gospel reputation to, to, to increase, if anything, and, and to not to have guys and gals flame out. Uh, not that we don't have our struggles, and people haven't had problems, but um, he's kept the witness of the gospel and our reputation, uh, which is a gift. It's a gift he gives us, because he could pull it out any time, and it, it would be hard to recover. So um, those are the kind of things that keep me grounded. Uh, that and my wife. Mm. I mean, if you don't have a wife that, just so you all know, anytime someone talks to me, not every time, but often when someone recognizes me somewhere, which is easy to do in the roles that we have, is uh, and they're like, "Oh, Yancey," and they say something really nice. My wife just rolls her eyes, like, "I, I mean, Yancey, you can love him, but he's not that. He's not as great as you think he is." <laughs> so, and she's right. So that's that's kind of my approach, and and um, you know, I, I'm just grateful for God that He allows us to come up there and preach the, His Word. It's 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 a joy and a privilege and a pleasure. So. Well, hey, let's go ahead and end there. I, three preachers on a podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. We could I'm go sorry. forever, so we should I'm probably sorry. wrap it up. Right. But hey, I appreciate you guys. Appreciate being on the, the teaching team with you and being able to see God use you and, and use me to, to glorify Him. Amen. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope this conversation was helpful. If you want to watch the video of this podcast or share it with a friend, you can find it at clearcreekresources.org, where you can also find articles, music, and a lot more. 
Again, I'm Rachel. Thanks so much for joining us today.